Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hegelbon on Twitter, and I'm here today talking with uh, Francisco Gonzalez, an indie game designer and uh, part of. Um, well, you your your handle is Grindislav Games. Is that is that the the sole uh, company you produce under, or do you have others? Uh, no, that's that's it. Very cool. Okay, <laughs> of Grindislav Games, very good. Um, an indie game designer uh, of Ben Jordan of. Golden Wake, Shardlight, Lamplight City, and currently working on a game called Rosewater, which is uh, actually the reason I, I reached out to you in the first place. I was looking at some some really interesting animation from that, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. But um, uh, welcome to the show. Really happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, thanks. Um, so uh, first off, um, just for for my edification and for the edification of the listeners. Um, you know, I hear the term indie game designer and I, um, it's not that I don't know what to think. Like I think, okay, designs indie games. Um, (laughs) but, uh, what exactly does that mean in terms of like, uh, for lack of a better word, job share? Like, what is it, what is it that you are, uh, responsible for? What is it that you do? Or maybe actually, uh, in a lot of ways, what is it that you don't do? What is it in, in, in the design that is not up to you or do Uh you do everything? Well, so yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very personalized question, really, because it depends greatly on obviously on on who you ask and what their role is. And in my yeah. personal case, yeah, um, in my personal case, as you know, basically the only person at Grindelwald Games, which I mean, it's it's a sole proprietorship. I haven't even incorporated <laughs> yet, um, but. We'll just call it uh, Grindislav Games Incorporated on this on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as like, um, I, I do everything pretty much. I mean, I, I don't do everything, everything, but like I, I, I write the design, I write the dialogue, I do the art and the animation, I do the, uh, I direct the voice acting, I edit the voices, nice. I do pretty much everything. I, I leave me, that's, that's what I did on Lamplight City, and that's more or less, because uh, with the Golden Wake and Shardlight, I was working with a different publisher, um, with a golden wake, I basically made the game like, you know, all aspects of it. And then, wow. 
the publisher handled like the the music like paying the musician and and like uh, i directed the vo and stuff and we kind of collaborated on on uh putting that all together um on shard light i just did the writing the design the programming uh someone else did the art for that one and then with lamplight city i again did everything and i'm doing everything again with rosewater although uh this time i'm kind of not taking a full well on Rose or Lamplight City, uh, I had my uh, girlfriend slash uh, work partner, I guess we could say. Um, <laughs> she she also served as like my narrative consultant and dialogue editor, which basically meant she looked over what I wrote and made edits and things like that. She's got a little bit more of an active role on Rosewater, whereas she's actually like I've been sitting down and brainstorming design ideas with her, and oh nice, she's, she's gonna write parts of the game because there's certain parts that are a little standalone so i'm gonna have her write some stuff too so yeah um but generally yeah generally it's just it's me and i get i work with a composer um and yeah cool (laughs) it's a rambly answer to your question no no it's perfect um so uh, you know just out of curiosity then um what is like i guess i'm trying to think of the way to ask this like what is it about uh indie gaming that makes you so willing to, uh, I don't know, take on the, that level of, um, that level of sort of like massive commitment. I mean, <laughs> it, it seems like you're taking on so many hats there. Like what about the, the form actually makes it worth it? Well, it helps to be a control freak. I find. Okay, um, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, partly too, I mean, it's, it's nice to, to be able to think, okay, I, I'm in charge of this project. Like I pretty much have control over how it gets done and whatever. But I also find that um, being able to handle different disciplines means that you never quite get stuck in a rut necessarily. So mm, I try, sure. I I try and stick to the discipline that I'm handling and follow through. Like I, with Rosewater, I've you know with any game really, I generally like to get the design down on paper first and then kind of work from there um so but like you know if if i have a day where i don't feel like writing or i don't feel like designing and i've done enough that i know that i have an art asset for example that needs to be done like a background or an animation or whatever Mm -hmm. i can switch into art mode and i can do that for a while and then when i get tired of that i can just go or i feel inspired again i can just go back to it so i can bounce back and forth between the different things and for me that really helps break the monotony of the project because there's always a there's always a bottleneck uh there's always days where you just feel like what am i doing like there's nothing to do there's always something to do it's just motivating yourself to do it to actually go ahead and do it right sure yeah so so i find that it helps to just be able to kind of wear different hats and and you get excited like i mean i personally if i'm working on something even if it's just like i design something i'm like oh this is this will hopefully be cool and then i start building it in the game and actually see that it's it's coming together i'm like oh i get excited about it again now i want to go and design this next part that sort of thing right sure that's interesting i mean like it sort of reminds me of um the ways that like I don't know, not exactly the ways, but like some of the things that uh, appeal to me about um, I don't know, writing in general, like where, you know, the 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 quality of, of writing tends to be like writing and, and podcasting and all the sort of like various hats one can wear. 
like you end up just finding out what you feel a tolerance for in any given day and just kind of mm-hmm. pursuing that, yeah. um, which I think is not something I, I can understand why that would inspire a certain kind of like creative uh, loyalty, for lack of a better word, uh, for you, because like that's not that's not an ultra common thing to be able to mm-hmm. kind of just say, well, you know what, I'm going to. I'm just I'm sick of doing X today, so I'm just going to focus on anything else right now. Yeah, um, no, I, that's I, cool. Yeah, I definitely consider myself lucky to be able to to do that. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, so one of the things I was really fascinated by, I've talked to, and I'll talk to you too about about your writing process because mm. I'm always interested to hear more about it. But one of the things that I was super interested in was your art process. So uh, one of the things you put up on Twitter uh, was an image of uh, some animation from Rosewater. Um, and it was animation of basically someone uh, falling down, someone in a, in a jaunty hat falling down, as I recall. Uh, <laughs> yes. and, and someone asked you, oh, what was the, what was the source material for this? And uh, you posted this really uh, fantastic image of... Um, just someone, maybe it was you. I don't know. It was uh, me. Yes, it, it was you. Okay. I do all my own stunts <laughs> for the regular part. Jackie Chan. Um, uh, thankfully <laughs> I haven't been injured yet, but <laughs> yeah, be safe. Um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I try my best to be, I got, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story about one time with that. I wasn't, but please Oh yeah, continue. please. No, no. Oh, okay. So, so before we do that, yeah. Um, so, but you know, one of the things that I found, interesting about that was just like immediately from, you know, uh, an admitted outsider perspective, right? Where like, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't make video games. I don't really know how the production of video games works. I'm learning like anyone else would be, um, from the outside in. I, I never really thought about, oh yeah, of course there would be modeling for this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you, you'd want someone to model this, even if it's sort of like, um, it's not, you know, hyper realistic or anything. It's just, um, but you still want the anatomy just like you would in um, a cartoon or something like that, right? Like one of the sure. things that's gone viral recently is the the screen footage for um, the body uh, model for Ariel in uh, in The Little Mermaid. Uh, so, like, you know, it's like, yeah, of course, you, you need someone who uh, who can model that. And so the anatomy and everything that you'd want to to make to work in that would, would work. Um, and... I just had never thought about it in a game before. So, like, <laughs> what actually goes into producing those kinds of effects in-game? Um, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> I guess Usually what that means is that is a long answer. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. You can keep I, it as long as you want. No, that's, I, that's d- totally I do fine. kind of have to step back a little bit and kind of talk about, like, my, how my process has evolved over the years. Please, go for it. Um, so basically what I, when I started making games, I started making games back in 2001 and I was doing it just as a hobby. I, I you know, I always loved adventure games um, and I particularly, you know, I, I grew up playing the Sierra, the old Sierra games and the old LucasArts games. Yeah, of course. And, you know, those those games had great animations and stuff. The LucasArts games always tended to be a little bit more on the cartoony side. So... You know, even the more like realistic ones, like Indiana Jones and, and Monkey Island and stuff, like it was very, very much pixel art based. Yeah, um, sort of slapsticky. You know, really, yeah, slapsticky. Good. It, it was still, 
cartoony in a way. But Sierra games tended to be a little bit more on the realistic side, and mm. they they didn't do uh, straight up rotoscoping, but they did do a lot of video capture. Hmm. And I, I've seen several behind the scenes videos, and you know they would they would film their actors against blue screens, and then they would sort of digitize some of those animations and trim them down and do like little cleanups and stuff and put those in the game. So you had you had slightly more realistic looking animations. You had like characters in some games like just opening doors and actually like reaching out and going through and stuff like that. And I always found that really inspiring and I thought that was like just really cool. It added this sort of extra level of immersion. So when I started making uh making adventure games, I was doing, you know, I was I I started doing the art like I went to art school for a little while, but I oh, okay. definitely realized I had a lot to learn about <laughs> art <laughs> because art's hard, man. That's it like, is. Uh, it is, and digital art especially. Like, yeah. And, and and I didn't start using a tablet until like 2007. So like the first six years, I was just drawing backgrounds and doing animations and stuff wow. with the mouse. Which looking back on, I'm like, how did <sighs> I do that? That's crazy. Did you did you start before you could use a tablet, or was it just like you were just like, well, I don't need that. Um, I think at that point, because this was in the early 2000s, I think that uh, it was still around. I think the first time I had used a tablet was in high school, like in the late, in like 98 or 99. And okay. I think at that point they were still, mm, I could be wrong about this, but I, I generally get the impression that they were still like in the higher price range where it wasn't like, you yeah, know, I'll just go out and get a tablet. Like I got, I still have my old Wacom from 2007 that I think I paid like 40 bucks for. So <laughs> I bet it worked. Very good great. investment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. Oh, it did but, work. Great. Uh, oh, I've always oh, heard. No. I've always heard horror stories about the Wacoms, but really, no. Yeah, this I mean, been I great. Just, oh, okay. It's, I still use it. I, I was using it today. <laughs> All right, cool. But yeah, so you you did a lot on mouse, which I will say, but yeah. as someone who only drew via mouse and never had a tablet, that is mm-hmm. a nightmare way to draw. Oh, absolutely, it's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> I I still like I said I, to this day, I really don't know how I did it. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so for character animations, basically I was doing it just, I was just figuring it out as I went. Right. And, um, so I was doing this series called, well, yeah, you mentioned it. I was doing the Ben Jordan series. Um, and the first, that game was fine because, you know, the, I, I did the character sprite for the main character and I was like, well, I'm going to make a lot of games about with this guy. So I, I only have to make the main character once naively, <laughs> I thought. Um, <laughs> and so, so I drew him, and I didn't really use any reference models or anything, so I kind of approximated what a human should look like. And, you know, he had a pretty big head. Uh, and so, okay. <laughs> so around the time of the fourth game, I got the idea. I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should like, because at, at that point, you know, digital cameras had started becoming a little bit cheaper as well. And I had, yeah, right. I had a fairly decent digital camera. Um, and I was like, let me see, let me, let me try like taking a picture of myself and see if I can like <laughs> import it and trace over it and whatever. And I did. And I was like, Oh, I can, I can do characters like this. So <laughs> that's kind of what started it all. Um, okay. Once so, again, kind of a, kind of a roundabout way to get to your process. I feel bad. Like it seems like, it seems like all of the it seems like all of the things that you did to to get to where you are like started with the most kind of bespoke and difficult ways of doing it. 
Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but it's it makes it feel it makes you feel better to like look and see that there's very much a a roadmap that hmm. that happens. Um, but anyway, so That's so nice. basically, to 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 make the story shorter, slightly shorter, because it's already <laughs> been a long story. That's okay. Um, so I. I experimented with that, and then I was like, oh, I can do animations like this, too. And my camera, <laughs> this is just going to be one tragic thing after another. I'm so, so, so sorry in advance. My camera didn't take video. It only took pictures. So in oh. order to do the walk cycles, I had to take pictures approximating, like, <laughs> where the walk, the, the positions were. And oh. so that's how I would do my walk cycles. And then on top of that, when I would put them in Photoshop... I had to sort of eyeball the alignment. So I got a bunch of really like janky out of, you know, twitchy walk cycles, which I ended up like learning how to do better. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. Something came so, out of it. Yeah. 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 So I kept doing that. And then when I realized that I could import video when I when I got a smartphone and I was like, oh, I can I can take video and I can import it into, onto my computer super easily. I don't need like thousands of dollars of video equipment to do this anymore <laughs> or ever because i never did um, always feels like you do before you try it though yeah so so i was like oh okay i can do this and so i i took a video of i don't even remember what the first animated probably a walk cycle um but i videoed myself i put it on the computer i used adobe premiere or something to like get the individual frames and then I traced over them and I was like, Oh, that's a better result. But I was still eyeballing them. Oh, no. <laughs> and so, so where I'm at now and I've, I feel like I've, I've gotten a handle. I've been doing this long enough that I, that I can do it pretty well is okay. I discovered in Photoshop that there's actually an animation window, <laughs> which allows you oh, to, okay. to import the frames in an animation. Oh, sorry. The police oh, are coming to, to take it, me yes. away for talking too much. Um, <laughs> so Photoshop has this animation uh, feature where you can import the frames before you even do anything. You can just import the frames. And oh, cool. And set up your animation and then do whatever you want with them. So now I can just take the video, put it in, put it, you know, upload it to Dropbox, get it on my computer, cut the frames, put the frames together and, and move them around in Photoshop so they align perfectly. And then once I can actually preview the animation before doing all the sprite work, because before I used to have to do all the sprite work and then import it and pray that oh. it worked well <laughs> in, oh, no. uh, in Adventure Game Studio. So now that I do that, I'm like, okay, and then I can do, <laughs> then, then I do my animation. Extremely so dark. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, but, but it's no, been I mean, a learning process. It's also very, I mean, I, I, I say it's extremely dark, totally in jest, but it's also like, I mean, it's also really cool to hear that because of course, like, it feels as, you know, watching people who are good at what they do, right, make, make things. Like, watching someone who, for instance, is like... You know, I, I would say is good. Like, I I think you're good at making video games and like watching someone who's good at making video games um, do it. You think to yourself, well, I mean, that's just they they just know it. Like, of course <laughs> they know it. Um, and and it's interesting to hear how 
that knowledge comes about because it's not nearly as direct as I think a lot of people would want it to be. Because, of course, like you hear people talk about like, okay, learn to code or learn to do this or learn to do that. And it seems like a lot of people who are successful at what they do, the process is like, no, I didn't learn to code. I just like I had to figure out eight different things before I learned to code. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's how I got to where I am. I had to figure out how to make it the most efficient and or how to refine the process to a point where hmm. it was feasible. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Um, well, good for you for doing it. That's uh, well, thank you. That's very cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like what you do. Talk to me a little bit about what you do once you have the process down. Because I imagine that making the actual game is still is still quite a process. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, sure. I mean, well, go ahead. Oh, I mean, just like I, I was going to say, not just like even even outside of just like the physical process or like the process of, you know, the steps you take. Also, like the creative process. I mean, how mm. do you how do you sort of like piece that together? I'm sure that's quite a bit like anything in there that you'd like to talk about. Sure. I mean, generally, my I, I always like to focus on the design first. And what I mean by the, the design is actually outlining the game. And I mean, I my specialty is point and click adventure games, obviously. So mm -hmm. an adventure game, designing an adventure game is very different from designing any other type of game because sure. it's narrative based. So you obviously have to focus on the story. You have to kind of come up with your general idea for the story, if not necessarily write it out beforehand. But you have to think about your characters. You have to think about your world. You have to think about the basically all of this stuff before you can put anything really down on paper. So generally speaking, I, I tend to you know think about where the setting is and who the characters are, at least the main characters, and what they're doing here, what their goals are, what the quest for lack of a better term is going to be, you sure. know, the, the main, the main driving force in the game. Why are they, why are we playing as them? Why do we want to help them? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just becomes a process of figuring out interesting things to do, how to get from the start of your game to the end of the game, what that's going to be, what the obstacles and the puzzles are going to be to get there. Yeah. Um, so that's generally what I like to do first. And then I'll just start thinking about like writing and writing dialogue. And then at some point I want to actually build the game. So my priority then becomes importing things into the adventure game studio engine and building a functioning game and like, you know, getting the, the sure. interface working and all that <laughs> stuff. Right. Um, and I always do like background sketches and I use placeholder sprites from previous games to substitute for characters and things so that, so that the game, my goal is always to make the game playable from start to finish as soon as possible. Even if mm. it's just placeholder dialogue, if it's just characters saying, now I am reacting to this and someone nothing can of any still play real, it, yeah. yeah, someone can still play it and get a gist, uh, get the gist of what is happening. Do you release um, those early versions, or is that just is that strictly for you? I mean, I send them out to to, to people. play testers. Yeah, I just okay. sent out of my first version of Rosewater to a few people just to get a general f 
uh, feedback impression. You know, I said, I said, I, I don't care about the character development right now. There isn't any. There's just like, <laughs> there I mean, hopefully, any. maybe there is some, but like the the dialogue is like ninety five percent placeholder. I just want to know if it feels good, if the UI feels good, if like the world is interesting and you want to explore it, that sort of thing. That's I just want general first impressions. Mm, nice. So then, you know, when it's still in the early stages, if anybody says, oh, you know, there's this glaring problem here, it's easier to fix rather than if you've spent all this time just working in secret and not wanting to show your baby to anybody. <laughs> right. Um, so. Did yeah. you have to learn that kind of like, that seems like something you would have to learn early with like, uh, just like, because you say your baby and it makes me think of like, you know, the, the old, the old standard advice of kill your darlings. Like it feels <laughs> like something that would be kind of hard to do. Um, oh, it's ter- It's still terrifying. I've yeah. made, I've made, I don't know how many games now, and I still, when I send one out for the first time, I'm still like, oh my god, this is crap. People are gonna hate me. What is this? You know, <laughs> people are gonna, always that. Not people are gonna hate it. People are gonna hate me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, what the hell is this guy thinking? Why does he think he can make it? Make games? Does he think he's any good? No. It's Why terrible. did he waste my time with this? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Why did I? Can you imagine if I had sent this to you in like? The early 2000s when it took, you know, it still took <laughs> 10 hours to download a, two, a 20 megabyte file. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Like, it's just terrifying. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, like, uh, so once you have those, like, let me take a step back. Mm. When When you're thinking about the game itself, one of the things I was super interested to hear you say was... Um, you think about like why we'd want to root for uh, that, or why we want not root for, but why we want to help that character. And I think that's like a really interesting question because I'm not so sure every game thinks about that, right? Like I'm not mm. so sure games are consistent in uh, games are consistent in them wanting you to play them, but I'm yeah. not so sure games are consistent in wanting you to care about their characters. Oh, for uh, sure. And so, like, I guess, is that, my, my question is, is that something that you particularly find, um, like, compelling and then something that you want to encourage? Or is that something that you think is, like, endemic to the uh, adventure genre? No, I think it's, I, th- I don't think it's specifically uh, to the adventure genre. I think it's to the narrative genre, um, to any narrative game. Because, I mean, any game now has narrative elements to it. I mean, Assassin's Creed has narrative elements to it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, any any first-person shooter still has a story. The mechanics might be something completely different, but there's generally always a story. And it's, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's something that as video games have matured, um, people expect that more. Like, you know, you play the early the early Sierra games, the early LucasArts games, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the the characters are memorable in the LucasArts games, but that's usually because it, they're comedies. And you remember because they're, like, goofy characters and stuff. But, like, say Guybrush Threepwood, he doesn't really have much depth aside from he's just a, a dork who wants to be a pirate, you know? Yeah, and he's not in the There's no... Right. You know, it's like, oh, haha, he he's just a bumbling character who goes on... on you know, from situation to situation, whatever. You know, King Graham in, in King's Quest, you know, he's a hero. He's he's buff. 
I actually right, spoke yeah. with with uh, one of the writers from uh, Sierra, and he was like, he who voiced King Graham, and he was like, <laughs> the only direction they gave me in the booth was he has to be buff. <laughs> so oh, there wasn't a lot of That's there wasn't terrible. a lot of thought. I know there wasn't a lot of thought really into it uh, as far as that. But yeah, I think nowadays people, if you are playing a game that's hours and hours and hours of your time, uh, or even, you know, if, even if it's a short, uh, quote unquote short, like, you know, a five to ten hour experience in an adventure game, if you're embodying this character, you're not just helping this character, you're playing as this character, Right. generally speaking, you want the player to feel some sort of connection with them. Either because they're living out some sort of fantasy through this cool character who's like a badass or whatever. <laughs> but in general, you know, you want the character to be likable. I mean, there's there's plenty of adventure games where the main character is like an anti-hero or they're just like a jerk or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the times people bounce off that because it's like, well, if this person's treating everybody like crap... Like, why would I want to do that? You know, I feel bad for the people that you're, that my character, like, I hate my main character. You, know? you don't, <laughs> yeah. want, you don't well, want to create that disconnect there. It reminds me of one of the things that I think, I think it was Chris Avalon who said it, uh, too, where, where he was talking about the the way that, um, like, if you play, I think he was, he was talking about Planescape and basically saying, mm-hmm. like, if you play Planescape Torment as, like, a bad guy, like, a truly, truly bad guy. Um, <laughs> like you will, it, people just bounce off of it. Like people are unable to complete the game as, uh, you know, truly bad, um, hmm. nameless one because it's just like, it's sociopathic. Uh, it, well, just, yeah. like, it, it gets intense and like, it's like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> um, and I mean, it reminds me of that where like, if you have to spend that much time with a character and they're absolutely terrible, hmm. um, yeah, you're going to get sick of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny that you, you mentioned uh, sociopathic. Uh, I, I tweeted a little while ago uh, something to the effect of, you know, for adventure game designers, please, unless there's like some sort of story reason for it, please don't make your main character a sociopath. Because, <laughs> because if yeah. you sit and if you think about it, most by design, most adventure game puzzles involve your character being a sociopath because they have to they have no regard for other people's feelings they just like use most other characters to to uh for their own means or to to get ahead sure in the game like you know guybrush you know he gets away with it because he's a pirate pirates are bad people you know he can put a rat in a soup and get a guy fired and okay it's funny and also yeah he's a pirate whatever yeah, and like, uh, like you think about like Sam and Max, like they get away with it because they're kind of like lovable rogues or whatever. Right, like, exactly. And that but, that makes sense. Like the idea of a lovable rogue works, but yeah, no god. Sure, on, and more so in a comedy. But if you're right. if you're doing if you're playing it more or less straight and you're doing a serious adventure, I think if people sit down and they think, "Oh, well, traditional adventure game puzzles mean I have to distract this person, so I'll distract this person by causing them to uh, think that their mother has died, and then they'll do this, and then, you know, something like that." It's generally the direction people go. But if you stop and think about it, it's like even if your character is supposed to be a good person, they're doing these horrible things. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> I don't want to. There's help. a. I don't want to make this person think that. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to name names, so I won't. But <laughs> there's a there's an adventure game which I haven't played, but I've 
I've seen. And, and this is probably a, uh, an atypical example because this game has gotten quite a lot of flack. But there's this a game where you're playing as a policeman mm-hmm. and you have to make a phone call. And for some reason, you can't use the phone in your office. I don't remember. I don't know what the reason is. So you're supposed to use a pay phone. And I can't remember the exact details. I know that the big thing is that there's like a super... Uh, there's another way to get the change that you need because he doesn't have any change to use the payphone. Okay. Um, and there's a there's a way to get the change that's like that. I mean, it's not the game doesn't let you get the change that way, but it's made very obvious that that could be a solution if they had cared enough to make it one. Okay. But the actual solution is something along the lines of you have to. There's a homeless person who's begging, and they have a cup full of change, and you have to steal oh. their change. By, like, giving them bleach or something to drink. Oh, no. And it's like, you're a policeman. Why are you almost killing a homeless person to steal their change to use a payphone? You could have done it this other way. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, when you get into that sort of realm of absurd logic for puzzles. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, it creates this. I mean, I don't want to use the the L word, uh, the LD word. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ludo narrative, uh, yeah, Ludo narrative dissonance. Uh, Very nice. So, yeah, <laughs> use the LD word. Do it. Yeah, no, you, I agree. You made me. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like I'm trying to think of a good a good example of this outside of the adventure game, but it might also just be that the adventure game is particularly good uh, at presenting this problem because, mm-hmm. like, there's not a lot of games that require you to live in your character's shoes that much. You know, like. Right. I'm trying to think of other versions of this, and there aren't a lot. I think, like, maybe... Hmm, well, maybe, like, a visual novel. Like, a visual mm-hmm. novel is a good example of this. Like, or any game, I guess, where... You know, a good a good example is uh, any, any like, uh, open-world game where you are not given the choices you want, and you're sort of forced to live as a character that you just, like, don't like that much. Right. I, that's sort of like that's the closest I can get to that same that similar uh, frustration where it's like, well, I don't want to be doing this. Like, I don't want to I don't want to put this I don't want to put bleach in this guy's uh, <laughs> cup and, and steal his money. But it's the only way I can get the change I need. Like, what? Right. What am I to yeah. do? Um, and yeah, I would I would bounce off that as well. Yeah, I think it's far more interesting if you can justify through the character's personality or through the character's particular you know backstory or whatever reasons for why they might do something or you can give the player that option like i'm not going to spoil too much in saying this but like that animation could come back full circle the animation where the main character in rosewater harley she punches this this kid um the idea is that she comes from a background where she used to be a fighter. She used to be a like a, a, a brawler, you know, mm. like the Victorian era underground brawling clubs. <laughs> and she's left that life behind, but it's still a part of who she is and like it's made reference to and everything. So at that point in the game, you've been told no several times you know you're trying to get to this goal and you're you keep getting told no and this kid is kind of like the last straw so at that point you can either say all right i'll help you out and i'll do this puzzle chain to like gain your favor to let me into this place i need to go into or you can just be like 
well, screw you, I'm going to punch you out. And then you yeah, have to, I'm sick you know, of this. I'm sick of this, like, this constant denial. Right. Yeah. But it makes sense because, you know, she has that as part of her character. And even, you know, she, I'm planning on, you know, letting the player play this character as she can either be trying to get away from that and, and be more peaceful or you can embrace her violent past and and do that, but there will be consequences for it. Right. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. The game isn't forcing you to one solution; it's giving you the option, but the option is plausible. I like that too because it reminds me of what is so enjoyable about adventure games, which is specifically that they present you these flawed characters. That mm. I, I feel like you know this is something that games today try and do as well. Um, thinking about like uh, particularly like the Elder Scroll games or or a Fallout game or something like that. I'm going back to open world for some reason. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I don't understand exactly, but it's just what's popping to mind. And the you know like something I you know thinking about something like Skyrim or, or whatever. Um, you're given these characters who have flaws, but through the game's mechanics, you can basically iron them out so that your character is perfect, right? Like your character, if they have narrative flaws, they have narrative flaws, but by and large, they are, you know, killing machines who can't be destroyed, and they, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, they can't use magic. That's their problem. Oh, I've taught them magic. Now they can. Like that, you know, the, any any sort of flaw, narrative or otherwise, is um, manageable. You can massage it out. Um, whereas in adventure games, because you're forced to play as that character, um, there's no such opportunity you have to live within the bounds of your character um and so I, I think that might be why like so many adventure game characters are so memorable to me like you know i remember uh guy uh guy with toothbrush i remember or three bullet i remember um i remember sam and max i remember all these characters because like they are flawed and you have to play as them <laughs> like you don't right. have a choice but to kind of handle that yeah. uh that flawedness mm-hmm yeah, I mean, it's also, I, I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, but, like, no. it, it's also kind of interesting, like, with, uh, I'll give you an example from, one from A Golden Wake and one from Lamplight City as far as, like, the, the, the flawed character. Like, the main character, A Golden Wake is basically a rise and fall story. Okay. Um, and it's basically about a real estate agent who, like, he is trying to like live up to his dad's legacy and he's trying to get a get ahead and then he ends up like joining the mob and <laughs> realize it yeah real um real mistakes made yeah exactly exactly but there's this mechanic that i put in where there's several uh like he's basically the story builds up that he comes from this like you know his dad was really good and he's really good and he's like pushing himself like he's really good at real estate selling and like he's really good at talking to people and reading people and whatever um and there's several characters that you there's puzzles that i kind of borrowed the idea from like deus ex uh human revolution where like okay you have this first person view where you're talking to the character and you're trying to convince them to do something and you you kind of have to like pay attention to what they say and sort of like read them and pick the response based on that. Um, but it's possible to get to fail these uh, these things. So mm. theoretically, you could play through the whole game and get all of them wrong and not convince anybody. But there's this sort of disconnect because it's like, well, if this guy's supposed to be such a great real estate salesman, 
why is he now suddenly being terrible at it? Right, yeah. So looking back on that, I'm like, I probably should have approached that from a different way. Whereas huh. in Lamplight City, in Lamplight City, the whole sort of uh, USP, rather to say unique selling point rather than gimmick, um, <laughs> there, is... That's nice That's nice SEO right there. That's, thanks. that's, that's very good. It's kind of like how I like to say that I'm a renaissance man instead of a jack of all trades because it sort of sounds a little bit more you can't more, say more pretentious. But, yeah, you can't yeah. say master of none if you say you're a renaissance man. There's no well, there's no true. comeback. You can't be like renaissance right. man, master of none. <laughs> uh, anyway, in Lamplight City, the thing is that you there's uh, the game split up into five different cases. It's a detective game, obviously, and and each case has different potential suspects and false leads and you can get the cases wrong. Um, but I justified that both because it's never really like it's said that you are a great detective. It like it's made reference to that. You are like one of the best police detectives because you're a private investigator for story reasons in the game. Mm -hmm. But the main character, Miles Fordham, he's going through a rough patch. Like his, he killed he accidentally kills or allows his partner to die at the beginning beginning of the game that's he's a haunted, rough patch, yes yes he's he's on top of that he's haunted by the voice of his partner he hears him in his head constantly he's not sure if it's actually the partner's ghost or if he's just going crazy right so in order to deal with that he's taking this uh sleeping medicine which kind of has him out of it and and groggy for most of the time so it's plausible that he might not be working at his best. So if you get the cases wrong, it's like, oh, well, it's because he's going through this, these issues. Right, sure. Um, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, you've, sort right. of, you've given it a, a level of, I mean, I guess a, what is becoming clear to me about adventure games that I never really thought about before is that everything in the story has to run through the character. Oh, absolutely. Every, everything that the character does... Or everything that happens in the story, if assuming that you want to make the story about you know this particular character, and then which if their you were making an adventure focus. game about them, I would hope you would. Well, yeah, I mean it depends, obviously, because like you know you have adventure games that are you know you're playing more or less a blank slate or a first person adventure where you, the player, are also the character mm -hmm. sort of thing. But if it's a third person or even I guess even a first person character driven story then yeah you you have to make the story basically be about the character otherwise it's it's it feels like it feels disconnected <laughs> right exactly but yeah no that's that's really interesting i've never really thought about it that way but that absolutely makes sense i guess like the the one question i'd have is you know what does that kind of does that challenge ever make it difficult um I'm trying to think how to say this does that challenge make it difficult uh, in, in story writing ways. Like obviously a kind of limitation can be super appealing to a writer and super helpful. Like I'm, I'm mm. certainly of the opinion that, uh, any kind of limitation is not always, but often a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. having total free reign can often like make writers, um, Lazy is the wrong word. Uh, the right word is probably... Um, comfortable. Comfortable is exactly <laughs> right. Yes, that is right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, very comfortable. Um, and I think, uh, you know, insofar as it can make them that way, it's like... Uh, the other question I have is, is it also true that those limitations can limit you too much? 
Um, like, do you ever feel, I guess another way to say it is, do you ever feel like you are, um, you're not able to actually write the story you want to because you have to always make these plausible kind of, um, responses. Like you have to make a, you have to make like a, a, an instance of like, okay, he's not a good detective because of this story point or like, oh, he's a, he's plausibly a bad, uh, uh, real estate agent because of this story point, as opposed to like, say a novelist who can say like, well, in my novel, he gets this wrong because of this, like, and he always gets it wrong every time. Whereas right. in an adventure game, that's not the case. You sometimes get it right and sometimes get it wrong. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that that basically depends on your design. Because, I mean, the thing with a game, obviously, as opposed to a novel, is the interactivity. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if, if you go for the route of being able... Like, you know, the, the thing with a golden weight could have been solved if it had just been, okay, well, you, you're not allowed to get this wrong. You just have to figure out the puzzle of how to convince this person, but there's no way to get it wrong. And that would justify the fact that, you know, the main character is a great salesman. There wouldn't be the issue there. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But if you as the designer are putting in this choice and you're giving the player the option to have different outcomes to situations, (laughs) (laughs) then you're making work for yourself and then you have to be able to plausibly explain how these situations could come about. Because it's like... It's like what I was saying before with Harley from Rosewater. You know, like, if if she just had a short fuse and just punched people right from the start, <laughs> it would just be, oh, well, why is she doing this? Whereas... Why is she so mad you, all the time? Exactly. So, like, you know, and even still, like, I was thinking when I first d- was designing the thing, like, it was just straight up. She would just get to the guy that's not letting her into this place she needs to go, and automatically the option would be to punch him. But... Uh, after some iteration and some narrative consulting from from my writing partner, um, she was like, "No, you know, Good it would make more sense." Partner. Absolutely, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. She was like, "You know, this would make more sense if it escalated. You know, mm. if it wasn't the first time. Because if she's just been being told no, 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 it makes more sense that she would have <laughs> she, she would, would be quick it. to yeah that she would be quick to to say oh well I'm just gonna punch you." So then I went back and I was like, okay, well, this first encounter she has is going to come out negatively. This second encounter, she I added in a second step where she had to encounter another character who said, well, no, you have to do this first. And then now when she gets to the third one, that's when, that's when that. she just loses it. That's when it's possible to lose it. Possible because as the to pl- lose it, right. Well, yeah, because as the player, you make the choice as to whether she, she loses it or not. But yeah. So if I'm understanding you right, like the actual decision, the actual sort of like uh, player decision is not necessarily like, okay, um, you know, am I going to get this wrong or am I going to get this right? You're not wondering about mechanics. You're basically giving plausibility to any decision that the player may make, uh, knowingly or otherwise. Um, Sure. That is to say, like a player can get something wrong. A player can get something right. A player can choose option a or b and your job as designer is to make sure all of those outcomes make sense within the character right exactly Hmm. that's exactly right because i mean if you haven't established that a character has violent tendencies if they just straight up punch somebody it seems out of character (laughs) would make no sense same as if you're a policeman you plausibly would not give a homeless person bleach to steal their change (laughs) I mean, you know. <laughs> I suppose if it if it is a game critical of policemen, 
uh, sort of like That's the peak of, of, of the carceral state or something. I could I could see that being the case, but it sounds as if it comes out of nowhere. Right, but see what you just did there was you came up with a plausible reason, and that is a good step. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to write my adventure game. Yeah. <laughs> Why so do, do you... they do all these terrible things that they do? That's the interesting thing. <laughs> right. Oh no, that's a good point. Like it's it's not it's not so much the the uh, the question of like. Um, you know, what will you do to make this happen? Um, it's more like, well, why would you do like, I guess that's another way of saying it. Like the, the times that uh, say a LucasArts game was most exciting or most interesting was not when you like discovered the answer to a problem that was bothering you by like uh, combining the like, eight different objects and being like, Oh, I mm-hmm. guess that was the one they wanted me to get whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was the one where, like, the more the more satisfying thing is when you're like, oh, yeah, like, uh, how does this thing work? How does it work? How does it work? Oh, I get it. I get it. Like, I can figure this out. And you really do work it out. Like, you really do figure out, like, okay, this is why this works. This is what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, I mean, that's, that's plausibility now that I'm thinking about it. That's exactly what that is. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. I'd never really thought about it before. Mm-hmm. Um well, just a couple more questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you get your inspiration? So, like, obviously, some of this is archetypal. You're doing a detective story, a sort of like um, uh, uh, fish out of water story. It sounds like in Rosewater to a certain degree. Um, but yeah. where do you where do you get your where do you get your ideas? Like, is there a is there a way that you get your inspiration that you uh, you feel is consistent, or does it just kind of come to you and you work it out from there? So this is one of those really weird instances where if I, step, if I stop and I think back to when I get ideas or how I get ideas, I can't remember. There's, <laughs> so I'm sorry to give you the cop-out answer. Which That's is okay. Just, it, That's they come an to interesting me. answer. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's weird because, like, with a golden wake... I wanted to... I mean, I grew up in South Florida. A Golden Wake is basically set against the backdrop of the history of South Florida in the 1920s, which I always thought was interesting. I thought it would make a good adventure game. So I got the idea to make a game about that, and then it just sort of emerged from there, and I did all the research and everything. Okay. Um, with Shardlight, I, I guess I must have watched something or something because I wanted to make a game about, like... I wanted to make a game set in, like, the... the uh, during the Black Plague. Okay. Um, there was two things. I wanted to make a game set in the Black Plague, and I wanted to have a personification of death that was like, that had bird wings. <laughs> that was like a raven. <laughs> All right. All Actually, right. I saw, I, I know exactly where that came from. There's this really cool animation, uh, this 3D, and I think it was a student animation, but it's like a 3D short film on YouTube called The Blackwater Gospel. Okay. Or something like that. And it, it's it's all about like this uh, super religious old west town, and they're afraid of the Undertaker, and the Undertaker is like the personification of death. And when he shows up, like someone's gonna die, so they all end up killing themselves because they're like paranoid or whatever. Um, cool. And the Undertaker has like these raven wings too. So I totally got it from there. But then I started <laughs> talking with a friend, and who ended up being the game's co-designer with me, an artist. And we we turned it from like a black plague thing in the Middle Ages to or in medieval times to a post apocalyptic dystopian future with a plague. So, oh, okay. Um, so that kind of came from there. And then at some point, I was like, you know, I really want to make a detective game set in 
in like Victorian times, and that's where Lamplight City came from. But then it turned into like an alternate history steampunkish kind of thing. And then as I was working on that, I was like, I really like this world that I've made. I want to explore more of it. What's the you know we're in the 19th century? What's the logical thing? Oh, Western. Yeah, <laughs> let's do okay. that. There you go. So that that one kind of came a little bit more organically. Um, but yeah, and like with Ben Jordan, I was just like I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was like, well, I like Gabriel Knight, I like Paranormal Investigators. Let me make a series about that. So that's that's how that came about. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, that's... so yeah, it's 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 just kind of I I always try and have at least one game idea that I like in the pipeline, so that I'll have something to work to on. at least think about when I'm getting close to finishing a project. Do you like working within archetypes? Is that something that you find like interesting? Um like I mean, so like particularly like like the detective novel or the western. Right. Um and that is meant as like a nice question. I, I think it's no 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 I know archetypes. No no, no I, I could see how it would be how it would seem arch. Like it, it really is yeah. like a is that no, something get, you find interesting? Yeah no no I get what you're saying. No for sure. Um Yes and no. Okay. Um, so, funny story about... The thing is, is... This is all about audience, I've, I, I've come to think. And, and I don't, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this answer without sounding like I'm throwing shade at anybody. Okay. But, so, A Golden Wake was very much a personal project for me. Like, I kind of like... I forget where it was. I think it was uh, it was some movie where like there's you know they say like you know make your genre film first and then go for the art house project. Right. Like, yeah. Your, like the, the make Scorsese your Hollywood thing. Block. One for you. One yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And a Golden Wake wasn't my first game, but it was my first commercial game, and mm. it was very much a for me thing. And like even within the niche genre of adventure games. It's a niche game because it's a historical fiction piece about a very specific place at a very specific time. And yeah, okay, it's got maybe the wider broad, the, the wider audience appeal of, oh, it's the Roaring Twenties or whatever. But it's a game about a real estate salesman in South Florida. Like, how exciting does that sound? Not very, but that's <laughs> marketing spin. I mean, like they say, you know, there's... Even the worst ideas, like, or... The best idea is if it's badly executed or, you know, and vice versa, whatever. So, like, you can you can do something interesting with that story. Right. I tried to. I don't think, you know, looking back at it now, because the game's already almost five years old, you know, knowing oh, what tough. I know now. Yeah, I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah, if I could go back, I'd build it from the ground up and, you know, do it completely different, but whatever. You so can't do that. Need- yeah, sure. Yeah, so, so needless to say, it didn't have that necessarily that mass commercial appeal like it wasn't a flop or anything but when it came out it was very much like you know oh okay well sure whatever right um whereas shard light you know post-apocalyptic dystopia people are into that that's very much a genre that people recognize so that one (laughs) yeah so that one did better Lamplight City, again, you know, Victorian foggy detective thing. You know, I put in the steampunk thing at the suggestion of my previous publisher, but by the time that I decided I wasn't going to 
go with them. It was too late. I had already ingrained it into the story enough that I wasn't going to change it. <laughs> and I had to actually learn about steampunk a bit because I didn't want to do like the typical, you know, goggles with top hats and mechanical arms and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but why? So, you know, I, well, yeah, I, I wanted to keep my steampunk elements a little bit more grounded in reality. So I did do that. Um, so, you know, that had more. That also had more commercial appeal and worked, and it was interesting to work within that genre. And now with a western, like I sort of, like I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of westerns. There was a period of time where I actually didn't really like them, uh-huh. um, but I've kind of come around on them, and I'm excited about this project not just because, not necessarily because it's a western, but it's more because this world that I created for Lamplight City. Like, I want to be able to take the typical Western tropes and just play with them and present them in this different light of this alternate universe Mm -hmm. and be able to play with that a little bit more. And, I mean, you know, Westerns have their their things. Like, what's interesting, too, is that... I can name maybe three point-and-click Western games, and they're all comedies. No one's done a straight Western drama before. And I wonder why. I'm trying to think why. of point-and-click Westerns. Well, there's Freddy Farkas, okay, Frontier right, Pharmacist. Sure. There's Alamo and the Lost Dutchman's Mine. Never heard of that one. That one came out in, uh, uh, I want to say, 2006? Okay, so more recently. It was, a, it was, an, indie, it was an indie adventure uh, game, yeah. Okay. And there's also a series that stars a cowboy named Fenimore Fillmore. I think the first game is called Three Skulls of the Toltecs. Okay. I, I've never played them, but those are really the only, the only Westerns I can think of. Yeah, that's... And, of course, I mean, LucasArts did Outlaws, but that was a first-person shooter, so that doesn't right. really count. I mean, but, here's a here's yeah. sort of like maybe this is going to sound more like a hot take than anything, but mm. I, are there serious like I guess there are, but like it serious adventure games aren't the most common thing either, right? Like um, dramas are like ostensibly tragic. They're usually like kind of well, fun or yeah. Well, I mean, when I say serious, I don't mean like you know dark brooding oh no levity at all like i always put i always put funny things in my games but i don't i i mean like they're not wacky screwball comedies oh okay you know? okay okay i see what you're saying. like you know like I, i'm thinking i'm talking about serious like indiana jones and the fate of atlantis is serious yeah you know? okay. it has funny moments but overall it's an action adventure story it's not it's not played for laughs whereas okay, yeah. sam and max or day of the tentacle it's all about absolutely the jokes played and, for Ma- and laughs. stuff yeah, like that yeah yeah right. sure that's what I mean. It's not like, you know, okay. we're not going to be examining deep philosophical <laughs> questions about, you know, should I shoot the guy or not? But, you know, it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's not like a Blazing Saddles parody, uh, you know, farting horses kind of Western. It's a, it's a, it's more of a, in the vein of like Fate of Atlantis or Full Throttle, like okay. an, an action story or a serious adventure story, but with lighthearted moments sort of thing. I like uh, before I forget, though, and I'm sorry if this is completely unrelated, but I was going to tell you a story about getting hurt. <laughs> I want to hear <laughs> your story about getting hurt. Yes. No. <laughs> this is what we went in to talk about. But, I mean, you, you, you answered my yes. questions and, and all, but I want to hear the story, too. I, I think that would be wrong to rob our listeners of, <laughs> of a good story. So, 
I'll tell you two brief stories. Okay, so the great. first story is when I was doing the last Ben Jordan game, there's a character who, uh, at the end of the game, spoilers, jumps off of the top of Notre Dame Cathedral in a very dramatic moment. Wow, okay. And I needed to animate him climbing over the railing and falling backwards. And I was like, how am I going to do this? So <laughs> at the time, I was still living... Uh, in South Florida at my at my mom's place and the uh, the the steps going up to the house they had they have little uh, outside they had little railings on the side so I was like oh I'll just I'll sit on this and I'll fall backwards I'll put some cushions on the ground oh, no. <laughs> so this is already sounding harsh so the character in question was wearing a, a, a cape so I wrapped the towel around my my <laughs> my neck. And I went and I sat on the rail, just like in the middle, you know, on the front of the house facing the street. So anyone driving by would be like, what the hell is this kid doing? And I put like, I think I put some pillows in a garbage bag and I put that as my cushion on the ground. I didn't even use a mattress or anything actually good. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I leaned (laughs) backwards and I fell and I like, luckily I didn't hurt myself or anything but i fell and i was like i could have broken my neck <laughs> why am i doing this but yeah, luckily i got it that's in one crazy take. it is crazy but also i was like 25 so. yeah I, at 25 i fell asleep i fell asleep squatting over uh subway tracks so like it's you know well I get there it. you go yeah but, i mean wow you know <laughs> yeah that was a bad choice um someone woke but me then, up and told me i couldn't sleep there I was like, right you're right um, yeah. Just like if someone but, came by and said, "You probably shouldn't jump off this bridge, this uh, this porch, yeah. without appropriate yeah. uh, safety measures," you'd say, so, "Yeah, no, that's true." Yeah. So to show you how far I've, uh, how much I've learned, how much experience has taught me, uh, just a couple of years ago when I was doing animations for Lamplight City, uh, I had to animate said dead partner's uh, death, which in which he falls off a roof at the beginning of the game. Oh no! So I was like, okay, well, I need a falling animation. So how am I going to do this? So I <laughs> what in my better way then? <laughs> yeah, it, but just yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I could fall off a chair onto my mattress. So I I got my mattress from my bed. I put it on my hardwood floor. I got on my chair, and I was like, I was about to do the jump, and I was like, you know, this mattress is just on the floor this is gonna hurt (laughs) yeah so i was like there has to be a better way of doing this so then i was like maybe i'll just put my mattress back on my bed so i put my mattress back on my bed and i was like beds have more structural support people jump on beds all the time so i was like all right i'll do this the safe way and so the safe way basically involved me putting the chair next to my bed and then jumping and falling on my bed which was infinitely more <laughs> less really, painful yeah. and much more uh yeah you would have really and hurt yourself i what's that you would have really hurt yourself i would have really hurt myself and then here's the the final cap to this story which was for rosewater there's a scene early on in which a character gets thrown out a window from a second story <laughs> oh, no. rolls down the the arched roof and falls onto the ground and so i went on youtube and I found a video of people rolling down a hill, and I rotoscoped that. <laughs> and that is 
There you go. That, that is, is how I've learned. That is the full circle. <laughs> that is the full circle. You just like you have to be happy that you didn't have the idea for that scene when you were twenty-five. Exactly. That just has exactly. to be something that makes you really I, pleased. I had to use the wisdom of my of my old age to realize <laughs> that I could just go on YouTube and find uh, what I needed. You know, I think um, <laughs> I think. Honestly, it's 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 the pain that teaches you. It's, Absolutely, <laughs> you're never gonna learn if you don't uh, hurt yourself first. Can I ask yeah. you one last question? Um, Absolutely. What do you? So, uh, adventure games are coming back. Like it, it seems like it is a. Oh, genre. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you right there. Adventure games have never left. Is that what you're gonna exactly. tell me? Exactly. Oh man, that's exactly. Okay. What I'm All right. Tell you. So, <laughs> so then I'll rephrase the question. Explain to me the appeal of adventure games and why they are such like a. Prevailing uh, genre, like what? What about these games to you? And it could be something we've already talked about, obviously. But like, mm. what about them to you is like speaks to their ability to like speak to so many people. Mm. Well, for me personally, the thing I always loved about adventure games was just the the mechanic of being able to explore a world and interact with the characters and hear these interesting stories. And I also just really like the idea of like the solving the puzzles and overcoming the obstacles and things like that, mm. which I I understand is you know you can talk you can say the same things about RPGs, but RPGs also have combat and stat grinding and things like that. So <laughs> sure, you know, adventure games purely for like the narrative experience is you know, and just as from a designer's point of view, um. You know, if I hadn't gotten into making adventure games, I was into I was into film. I wanted to tell stories. And I think yeah. that adventure games are a great medium to tell stories. And, you know, they give you more ability to dive deeper than into a world. You know, potentially they give you the ability because you're interacting with the world. You're exploring. You're at your own pace. You're uncovering bits of the story, uh, you know, as you go. And I think that's... If that's what I like about it, I'm sure that that's what other people like about it, too. Yeah. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, as games have gotten, have, have sort of come into their own and stuff, Roger Ebert, you know, be damned as far as the, uh, <laughs> I mean, let's not speak too ill of the dead, but the whole games can't be art thing. You know, I think that, that games can tell meaningful stories you know and and whether that's through an adventure game or a walking simulator or an rpg or whatever games are a lot more focused on story now and yeah. that is always going to be a thing and you know as as far as um as far as specifically adventure games i think the the reason that they have that longevity is because they're the ones that did it first um can i can i offer a uh a, a hot take that yeah. I offer, realized offer recently take, that I, I kind of want to spread a little bit more. Um, so yeah. this whole this whole thing about, you know, adventure games died at the end of the 90s and there was a golden age of adventures in the 90s and, and this whole narrative, for lack of a better term, pardon the pun, that uh, everybody is on uh, or, or embraces. Um, I think people don't realize that in the so-called golden age of adventures, yes, there were they they kind of were more in the mainstream or as far as like attention, 
but they weren't as good sellers and as popular as everyone seems to think that they were. Hmm. And the whole reason that they sort of went away for a little while and why, you know, Doom came out and first-person shooters and everything kind of surpassed them was because, you know, for, for a long time, adventure games were the games that showcased new technology. Like, you know, Sierra was always very much about the new King's Quest game has to do something new. Like, you know, when, when yeah. sound cards became readily available, you know, King's Quest was the first game that had a full sound blaster soundtrack or whatever. You know, King's Quest V was the first game when they switched to, to 256 color VGA and the icon interface and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the seventh guest was what sold CD-ROMs. Right. Um, I actually remember as, that, yeah. Yeah, and as the adventure games got you know, further technologically, the production costs increased. You know, they start they start hiring Hollywood voice actors. They start hiring these big teams. They start spending millions of dollars on adventure games. And they don't make back that money. So, you know, adventure games become this this big investment that don't that, that they don't pay out as much. So as opposed to say, you know, a first person shooter where the production costs maybe are not as high, but way more people buy them. Yeah. <laughs> so the return on the investment is much better. So then, you know, hmm. it becomes a thing where, oh, well, adventure games cost too much and the, not enough people buy them, so let's just stop making them. That's but then when you have when you have the indie resurgence, now it you know, you have a bunch of people who are making adventure games because indie dev is it's not cheap but it's it doesn't cost a million dollars to make an adventure game anymore right so you can so as an independent developer you can make an adventure game for a reasonable amount of money and more or less if you're smart about your budget make it back and make a profit so you know it was never about the genre died it was just it wasn't economically feasible because of the nature of the games and it's it's fascinating to think about the ways that those games have become the archetype for what we understand as adventures. So that as opposed to say something like Phantasmagoria two or something like that, right? Where like right. you're not you do you you're not producing um, you know full FMV or something like that, uh, right? But even still, there's been this resurgence recently, starting with her story oh, of a bunch true. of FMV games. You because, make a very good point, actually. That's true. Well, yeah, because nowadays you don't need you could make an fmv game on your iphone if right. you wanted to if you want to be super indie but you know the 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 costs of of equipment and stuff is lower now whereas you know back then they had to rent these giant outdated pieces of technology and the production costs were way higher as well yeah so to make an fmv game was a huge investment whereas now you could just you know do it in your backyard you're really making me rethink my understandings of how and why video games uh, changed when they did, which I, I've thought a lot about, and so I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, a little surprised. But that's um, that's that's cool. That's uh, I've never really thought about the ways that adventure games operated as like a vanguard until just now. But you're absolutely right, and yeah, I guess like resurgence is probably the wrong word. It's maybe just resurgence in terms of like Kotaku's covering it now. But right. not resurgence in terms of like none were ever produced. 
I mean, it comes and goes. Sure. Because there's always been somebody making an adventure game. But yeah, exactly. Like, every so often someone writes an article about, oh, adventure games are dead, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's 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 part of the cycle. Mm-hmm. It ebbs and flows as, as everything does. But, yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Francisco. Uh, where can people find your work? Where can people find you? Uh, where g- give us give us all the plugs? Okay. Well, th- uh, first off, thank you very much for having me. Oh. I very much appreciate it. Yeah, um, thanks for coming I on. Really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, I, me too. It's, it's it was it was refreshing. Me, yeah, no, same here. <laughs> I've uh, I've been having like I've been really lucky to have a lot of devs on recently. Uh, that's not mm. always who we have on, but. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I really enjoyed talking with you about this because it, it felt like I learned a lot about uh, development, but then there was also a lot of really interesting historical and aesthetic talk in there. That was uh, a lot of fun. Thank you for thank yeah. You for I that. think I think you're the first person who's like actually wanted to talk to me about rotoscoping. So I really do appreciate <laughs> really? that because it's like yeah yeah yeah. That's plenty of people. It's weird because people have told me oh you should do a talk about rotoscoping. I'm like. I guess, but what would I do? Would I just be like, "Here's how you rotoscope"? <laughs> I, I, I think, like, yeah. Do a live demo. Just that's, tell your narrative. Like, I, that's what I do when I stream. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, you just do all you have to do is stream in front of a TED talk, and you'll be rich. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, as far as the plugs go, um, well, you can go to my website, which is GrundislavGames.com. That's uh, G-R-U-N-D-I-S-L-A-V Games.com. Um, there you can find the, the Ben Jordan series, which are all, all there and all free to download. They're also on itch.io if you want to, I mean, I have a donate button on my website or you can, you can, you can throw me a few bucks if you want, if you want to check out the, but they're completely free to download. Um, there's, there's eight of them. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I spent a long time on those games, <laughs> but they were a really good learning experience. Drop, drop, so. drop a few bucks, people. Spend a few yeah. on that long well, games. Well, you can you can drop more bucks on my commercial projects. Uh, uh, there is a Golden Wake, which, as I said, is a rise and fall story about a real estate agent in 1920s Miami uh, who also joins the mob and hijinks ensue. Uh, <laughs> which is available. Uh, you can purchase that on Steam and on GOG, uh, as well as well. There's a link on my website as well. Um, there's Shardlight, which is a post-apocalyptic, uh, dystopian tale about a young woman who's trying to, um, find a cure for a plague and also bring down the, uh, the tyrannical government. Um, that's also available on Steam and GOG. There's Lamplight City, which recently is my most recent release, uh, came out almost a year ago. Uh, it'll be, in a month, it'll be a year since it came out, uh, which is a, uh, detective game where it's okay to fail as i mentioned it's possible to the game never the game never results in a dead end situation nice you you can declare cases unsolvable if you hit too many dead ends but <laughs> uh but the gate the, you have to do your detective work and that's in an alternate 19th uh, century sort of steampunky thing um, that's also available on Steam and GOG, uh, and I'm currently working on Rosewater, and if you want to follow updates on that, you can follow me on Twitter, at Grundoslav Games, uh, and that's... Oh, I also do a podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, we don't do it so frequently, but me and Ben Chandler, who is the, the guy who I mentioned who co-designed and did the art uh, on Shardlight, he nice. and I, we have a little little dumb podcast called blue cup tools where we like talk about ags and adventure game stuff and like 
we we basically just like talk about design stuff and we don't really podcast as much as we used to. I think we're up to like episode 120 something. That's a lot of episodes. Over... Yeah, but we started in 2012. So I mean, honestly, my my whole thing with uh podcasting is if you get like the 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 test of a podcast if it actually is real or not is if it gets past episode 4. If Fair it gets enough. past episode 4, you've you've made it to some sort of level. And if it gets past episode 100, then you're you're officially like part of the corpus. Um, okay. like it or not. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, cool. that, that you can find that at, on Twitter at BCT underscore podcast. Nice. Um, if any aspiring or any, uh, adventure game devs are out there and they want to hear a couple of dorks ramble about stuff and pretty much just make fart jokes and talk about Planescape Torment too much. I guarantee uh, that's what we do. A good two thirds <laughs> of my audience just subscribed. That oh, is excellent. like, that is absolutely a, uh, yeah, that's, that's a winner right yeah. there. Cool. All right. Yeah, so that's me. Well, yeah, come back anytime. I'd love to have you back on when Rosewater comes out. I can't wait to. Oh, sure. Can't wait to play it. Awesome. Yeah. And well, uh, thank you for again for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely a pleasure here too. Talk to you soon. Thanks.